Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we are going to talk about assassination attempts and specifically failed assassination attempts. Across from me is a man who once worked with the Secret Service, a- Agent Shannon Deaton. Shannon, how are you today? You blew my cover. <laughs> how could you do that? Shh, don't don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I just got back from Pigeon Forge and I got a little sunburn, but it's, uh, life's good. So all's well in Pigeon all, Forge. All is well. Y'all is good well. Deal. So, so how many hours have you been on the road today? And yesterday and uh, all the days well, probably, over the weekend? Probably two hours down there and then probably an hour driving around in between and then two hours back today to get to home, maybe 2.15. And then it's about, I don't know, 50 minutes to get over here from home. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just a little bit tired. It's, it's it's really just the sun more than anything. I can just kind of feel it, you know, have this, between the sun and the, the pool, it just sort of drains you. Yeah. You just kind of get so tired. I want to sleep well tonight. I bet you will. <laughs> now, while you were down there, did you foil any potential assassination plots or not that i'm like that? not that i'm aware of no it, if i did <laughs> it, it, it would be sort of like in the mr bean fashion or something <laughs> if, if you know total like by accident where i wouldn't even know i did it anyway oh man just kind of walk reaching on reaching for the sunscreen and just knock somebody Oops. over yeah. no effect that's right yeah <laughs> that's pretty good most people are aware of the uh, details you know, surrounding the Lincoln and Kennedy assassinations, and some know about the Garfield and McKinley assassinations. Uh, but Shannon, there were many other U.S. presidents that uh, thankfully escaped would-be assassins. So one of these was Richard Nixon. On February 22nd, 1974, a man named Samuel Bick planned to kill President Nixon by hijacking and crashing a commercial airliner into the White House. Now, the crazy thing is, is that he actually did hijack the plane uh, at Baltimore Washington International Airport. Uh, Bick uh, shot and killed one police officer and then actually shot the two pilots. Uh, One of them died uh, later on. And before Bick was able to take off, another police officer shot Bick through the pilot window. Wow. So he actually made it on board, kind of commandeered the plane. I don't think there were any passengers on board. I think it was just a pilot. Yeah. Uh, However, when the police boarded the plane after they had shot him, they had found uh, that Bick had actually shot himself before the police got to them. So they did shoot him down. And then while he was down on the ground, I guess he figured, I'm going to be in jail forever. And he actually shot himself. So there there was a a second shot from a different caliber gun when the police found him in the plane. Wow. So he was going into it knowing he wasn't coming back one way or the other. (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah. That's incredible. That sounds like the plot of an action movie. Can you imagine if he'd actually gotten off the ground? Oh, my gosh. And they were already sort of aware that he was up there and just wondering what in the world's going on. What's happening, you know, and... Uh, this is actually one of the more uh, deadly uh, assassination attempts, although really, I guess maybe Nixon was was really never in like extreme jeopardy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you know, the, the plane had really never taken off. Right. Uh, so obviously this this guy had uh, a plan to, to try and kill him. But in actuality, you know, he himself died and then he shot a police officer that died and then had a pilot that died. Wow. So there were, I guess, three fatalities in this attempt that, uh, you know, really never took off literally you know and it never left the uh, air 
airstrip, but that was his uh, that was his plan. Those were his intentions: was to literally ram the plane into the White House. I wonder how they found that out. I wonder if he left a manifesto, or you know, because he he was shot in the plane, right? So I yeah, wonder how and, they figured out his intentions. There. I wonder if there was some talking maybe going on there, then, or something, maybe uh, some negotiation to get him out of the plane, and yeah, he and, maybe and, explained what yeah. was going on. Yeah, and uh, uh, actually, Bick uh, had threatened Nixon in. 1972. This was something sort of personal toward Nixon. You know, when I was researching this, the only thing that really was ever mentioned that the the the, the fact that Bick had applied for a, a small loan, a small business loan, and he was turned down by the Small Business Administration, which which I guess fell under the executive branch, which would have been, uh, you know, under under President Nixon, obviously. What what a reach, though. So I mean, my goodness, that's really the only thing. Now, obviously, if you're going to murder someone and you're going and you know you're going to these extremes you you have some some issues going on right oh, i mean clearly definitely <laughs> uh but this was the only thing sort of like specific like an actuality that occurred in this guy's life and he was sort of somehow pinning all that on president nixon to the point where you know i didn't get this whatever ten thousand dollar loan for my small business guess i'll get a plane and ram it into the white house <laughs> i mean it's it's just it's crazy how people go from like i'm a little disappointed to now this is a natural reaction to this you know yeah but that was samuel bick that's not as uncommon as it sounds you're going to see and we're going to see as we go along that a lot of these assassinations attempts originate with just a very small sort of grievance just something kind of mild really yeah, yeah. And, and in some cases they don't even have any personal contact <laughs> with the presidents prior to that it's just i have a grievance the president must be responsible and they carry out their plot right. so the next one on our list is andrew jackson uh, andrew jackson was the seventh president of the united states and served from 1829 to 1837 jackson is known for erasing the national debt during his time as president mostly by vetoing bills that called for infrastructure and other improvements that he thought were a little bit beyond the scope of federal spending. Sure. Also, he founded the Democratic Party. On January 30th, 1835, as Jackson stood outside the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., a house painter named Richard Lawrence attempted to shoot Andrew Jackson with a pistol, but the pistol misfired. So, Jason, Andrew Jackson was 67 years old when this attempt occurred. And once the pistol misfired, he quickly recovered from the attempt. And one of my favorite lines in history, he proceeded to beat Lawrence with his cane. <laughs> Can you just see Andrew Jackson, 67 years old, someone has just fired a pistol on him. Well, it misfired. It didn't go off correctly. And then he just proceeds to whip out this cane and just lash this guy right in the streets of the Capitol building. Of all the U.S. presidents, Andrew Jackson would definitely be in my top five of <laughs> I'm not messing with that guy. I mean, you know, he saw some stuff. He's got wild tangent, He was in man. some battles, some some wars. Yeah. Uh, he's I, a military guy. He, he's a military guy. I would be, you know, very, very shy about approaching that man. <laughs> uh, and that doesn't surprise me a bit. That He's just like, well, I'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> just get this stick out and beat you to death. That's right. And that, that's not the end of the story. So while they're scuffling in the road here and Andrew Jackson's trying <laughs> to beat this guy with his cane, Lawrence fires a second shot or attempts to, and it also misfires. So this is just Jackson's luckiest day on earth and probably Lawrence's <laughs> most unlucky day he's ever had in his life. Um, historians have said that the weapons that Lawrence was using were known to be vulnerable to moisture and the weather on that date was apparently humid and damp. So not the right day to 
attempt uh, an attack on Andrew Jackson. Not very well planned, was it? <laughs> no. Lawrence was apprehended and put on trial for the attempted murder of the president, and he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was confined to a mental institution until his death in 1861. So this isn't the first one that we're going to find out was just sure. crazy as it goes. So I have a, just a few notes here that I'll mention about Richard Lawrence and his background just because I found it so fascinating okay. in the events leading up to this attempt. He was a house painter, as we previously mentioned, which doesn't always correlate to being an insane person. <laughs> no, I think uh, most most house painters are pretty sort of pretty nice. docile folks. <laughs> yeah. Very, very friendly. Right, right. But historians have speculated that exposure to toxic chemicals in the paints he used may have contributed to his mental illness. Uh, Lawrence's mental issues became known to his family as early as 1832, which was five years prior to his attempted assassination of Andrew Jackson. And in 1832, Lawrence announced to his family that he was returning to England, which was his birthplace. But he never actually got there, and this is where things kind of get strange. He abruptly left, saying he was going to England, but then returned one month later, telling his family that he decided not to travel because it was too cold. So not nothing too weird or out of the ordinary. Okay. Immediately thereafter, he announced again that he was returning to England to study landscape painting. He again did not leave the U.S., but briefly traveled to Philadelphia before returning home to his family. Here's where it gets really weird. He told his family that, quote, unnamed persons had prevented his travel from the U.S. and that the government disapproved of his return to England, <laughs> which is just nuts. Okay. I'm sure the government had nothing to say about <laughs> right. whether or not he was returning to England. And then finally, he also claimed that while he was in Philadelphia, that he read several stories about himself in the newspaper that were critical of both his travel plans and of his character. <laughs> That's yeah, the that's, moment that that's pretty tough. He, he went off the rails. Yeah, if uh, if you are reading fictitious stories about yourself and just how you travel around, and yeah, that might be the uh, first clue there. Yeah. So Lawrence eventually quit his painting job, and when asked why he did that, he indicated that he didn't need to work because the U.S. government owed him a large sum of money. Now you can see where this is going. Okay. This money was supposedly owed to Lawrence because he convinced himself that he was King Richard the Third of England and was heir to two English estates. <laughs> <laughs> the kids used to call him King Richard, and he actually liked that. You know, they were making fun of him, of course, but they would stand in the streets and yell at him, hey, King Richard, and he'd give them a salute or right. a bow or whatever and just kind of go on with his day. Uh, he became convinced that he wasn't receiving the money owed to him because of Andrew Jackson. He felt if Jackson were no longer in office, his vice president, Martin Van Buren, would establish a national bank and allow Congress to pay him the money he thought he was owed. So he's just constructing all these stories <laughs> as he goes along. It's crazy. That's kind of hard to even wrap your mind around that. It's like, a, hey, remember that one time that we, and then none of that ever happened. It, none of it. Yeah, just completely made up. The final piece of evidence of Lawrence's insanity included several accounts, which included him standing in the doorway of his home and just gazing into the street for hours, according to onlookers, threatening to kill a maid who he thought was laughing at him. And having conversations with himself where he would fall into laughing and cursing fits. So, so all, figure. all of this was leading up prior to the assassination attempt. Sure did. And it ended with two misfired pistols and a public beating with a cane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I probably should have rethought the painter life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I would too. That would have turned out a lot better. <laughs> a lot less painful. <laughs> 
So who's up next? On September 5th, 1975, President Gerald Ford survived an assassination attempt at the hands of Lynette Squeaky Fromm. That sounds like a like a gangster name type, you know, almost. <laughs> Squeaky. You know? Lynette Squeaky Fromm. The interesting thing about Fromm was that she was a member of the Manson family. And by that, I mean the Charles Manson <laughs> family. One and only, unfortunately. Uh, which may be a whole other episode one day or a series of episodes someday on Slapdash. But on the day of the assassination attempt, Fromm approached President Ford at the California State Capitol and drew a 45 caliber pistol and fired the gun. But the gun misfired, sort of like in the Andrew Jackson story here. Yeah. And Fromm was taken to the ground instantly. Uh, shortly thereafter, Fromm was sentenced to life in prison, but was actually released in August of 2009, which was two years and eight months after President's uh, after President Ford's death. You know something crazy about that? When she was imprisoned in 1979, she attacked another inmate with a hammer. So she had not repented of whatever this was that was that was sort of driving her on to, to do these awful and terrible things. She also escaped prison once in 1987 when she found out that Charles Manson had cancer, but they rearrested her and returned her to jail just two days later. Wow. So even all that time, Manson still had an effect on her. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, she was maybe one of the first or second people to actually join the Manson family. Oh, really? I read a report that he was getting off a bus one day, and she had just been kicked out of her parents' house. She was like 19 years old at the time. And he just sort of looked at her, and he said, I bet you just got kicked out of your house. And she said, I did. And she thought he was a psychic. So she got up off the stoop she was sitting on. He just got off a bus from jail, and she started following him and apparently never looked back. Wow. Yeah. That's creepy. Uh, you, you know, the uh, the thing about Gerald Ford is that he actually had multiple attempts uh, on his life. So, yeah. So, you know, he had the one there on September 5th, 1975 from the member of the Charles Manson family, Lynette Fromm. But then the, the strange thing is that just 17 days later, uh, another woman named Sarah Jane Moore fired a revolver at President Ford from about 40 feet away. And uh, a bystander saw her draw the gun and interfered enough that the shot missed. Uh, and then, of course, again, tackled to the ground. Uh, Moore was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, but like Fromm, was released early in December of 2007, one year after President Ford had passed away. So both of these women tried to kill Ford. They both failed. They both got decades and decades in prison, uh, and both actually were there at the time that President Ford had passed away naturally, you know, you yeah. know, from, from natural causes. And then they still were there, like you know, a year, almost three years, in, in one of the the two ladies' case before you know they they got out. So uh, Gerald Ford, uh, at minimum, got away with uh, from from two different assassination attempts. That's wild, and they were both female, and I think yep. they're the only recorded female assassins on presidents' lives in history, and they were both on Ford. Why, why do you think that is? And they both happened within three weeks of each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a quick thing. Uh, one interesting quote from Moore, the second attacker, at her sentencing when she was at the trial, she said, quote, Am I sorry I tried? Yes and no. Yes, because it accomplished little except to throw away the rest of my life. And no, I'm not sorry I tried, because at the time it seemed a correct expression of my anger. She she was well, I guess pretty that's, upset. Her, that's her decision, I guess. <laughs> uh, and when she was released from prison at the age of 77, she was a little bit repentant. She said, quote, I'm very glad I did not succeed. I know now that I was wrong to try, end quote. 
Hmm. Final thing about that. Last year, she went back to jail in 2019 at the age of 89. She was arrested for violating her parole by failing to tell her parole officer of a trip out of the country. So can you imagine at 89 years old going back behind bars after already being there for 30 plus years? Oh, my gosh. It's just unbelievable. I wonder where she did. did she go like to Canada or Mexico? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, hmm. I'm not sure. But yeah, she left the country. Didn't tell anyone she was leaving. Well, you know, but let's just be honest. I would imagine if you have a plot to kill a United States president, you're probably going you're to be on. Welcome. You're probably going to be on everyone's <laughs> radar for the rest of your natural life. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that kind of comes with the territory if you make that bad decision. It sure does. And since this happened in such recent history, she's been in a few interviews on news stations, which is just crazy. You can go on YouTube and actually sit there and watch these journalists interview someone who attempted to assassinate a president and who went to prison for it and was released. So it's wow. just kind of wild. Crazy times. So Jason, up next, we have Theodore Teddy Roosevelt. He was the 26th president of the United States and served from 1901 to 1909. He is known, known for being the youngest person to become U.S. president, assuming the role at age 42. Uh, he also, as we discussed in our History of U.S. Presidents episode, which I'd encourage everyone to go back and right. uh, take a listen. That, it's, that, it's pretty good. That's a really good one. He once pardoned a bear that had been tied to a tree for him to shoot. <laughs> It's one of my absolutely most favorite stories of U.S. presidents. This is not how a man does this, right? (laughs) You know, you don't have to tie a bear to a tree for Teddy Roosevelt. I think he was just visiting the town and they heard he was a hunter and they tied this bear to a tree and said, all right, you're, you're a great hunter. We offer this sacrifice to you essentially. And he just kind of looked at the bear and looked at them and thought, what in the world? And he, he untied the bear. Yeah, that, that, that's not hunting. That's really just, just an execution is what that is. So, right. yeah. And I think uh, that's where we get the term teddy bear, right? Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, named he, after. He was Theodore sort of soft. Well. He was sort of soft on the bear, right? A little bit cuddly. Yeah. That's, I, that's I okay. <laughs> but he wasn't too cuddly he was actually a pretty tough guy yeah, he would also be in the, the top accounts. five. Oh man <laughs> yeah. you don't want to box with this no. man he's a tough guy on october 14 1912 while cam- campaigning in milwaukee wisconsin roosevelt was shot by a saloon keeper named john flaming shrank he actually was shot as he was getting ready to deliver a speech The bullet lodged in Roosevelt's chest after penetrating his still eyeglass case and passing through a thick 50 pages folded copy of his speech that he was getting ready to deliver that day. The speech was titled Progressive Cause Greater Than Any Individual, and he was carrying it in his jacket. So the bullet did actually get into his chest, but it passed through his eyeglasses case and it passed through this speech. So he's still standing. Wow. So probably, I guess, slowed it up enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's one of the few presidents who was actually shot at and injured and lived to tell the tale. Right. Shrank, who was the shooter, was immediately captured, disarmed, and would have been lynched had Roosevelt not shouted for Shrank to remain unharmed, which, man, what a heroic thing. Wow. He's yeah. standing there shot, bleeding, getting ready to deliver a speech, and you're worried about the guy that shot you, and you're yeah. saying, leave him alone, because the crowd was ready to tear just, him limb just, from just, limb. Just kind of get him right there. Yeah. yeah. Shrank later told a jury that William McKinley had visited him in a dream and told him to avenge his assassination by killing Roosevelt. <laughs> so another instance of mental insanity causing people wow. to uh, to go out and do crazy things. Shrank was found legally insane and was institutionalized until his death in 1943. Following the assassination attempt, Roosevelt assured the crowd that he was okay. 
because you can just imagine him sitting there somewhat composed apparently like no big deal and the crowd just looking onward like what's what going- is this guy doing <laughs> what's going to happen here yeah. roosevelt ordered the police to take care of shrank ensuring that no violence was done to him and jason as you know roosevelt was known for being a hunter and an anatomist since he was not coughing blood he correctly concluded that the bullet had not reached his lung so he just sort of made that judgment call hey i don't see any blood here i'm not coughing up and fits i'm not writhing on the ground therefore i must be seemingly okay (laughs) therefore he declined suggestions to go to the hospital immediately and instead he delivered his scheduled speech with blood seeping into his shirt so if you can just imagine the onlookers i I can't. I can't even fathom what that could have been like. What a story! Because you know that the uh, the spectators were like, "Good Lord, we better vote for him." Because <laughs> I'm scared of him if we don't. It's Superman. Uh, to open his speech, Roosevelt said, "Quote, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, <laughs> but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose." Oh man! <laughs> End quote. <laughs> You know, and after that, he was president for the rest of his life. <laughs> He's like, more or less. I want to drop this mic and then I'm going to pick it back up and deliver this speech. <laughs> <laughs> Some reports say he went on to speak for 50 minutes. Others say he spoke for 90 minutes. It's the stuff of legend. Who knows? <laughs> but by all accounts, he's sitting there with a bullet in his chest and he is delivering a speech and apparently the one through which the bullet passed. So there's a big hole in it somewhere. I wonder if he just kind of skipped over that part or what. But uh, when he finished the speech, he went to a hospital to have an x-ray performed, and doctors concluded that it would be less dangerous to leave the bullet in place than to remove it. Therefore, Roosevelt carried the bullet with him for the rest of his life. What a memory. Man, it's it's just the stuff of legend. That's 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 an absolute legend. Yeah, that's one of my favorite presidential stories. (laughs) Because I read that uh, a few weeks ago when we did the pre previous right uh, episode and that just blew me away yeah, that's, that's crazy. just that's crazy so who's up next uh shannon on march 30th 1981 president ronald reagan had just finished uh speaking at the washington hilton hotel and was making his way to the limousine when a man named john hinckley jr opened fire on president reagan and actually three others uh that were with him uh and including white house press secretary james brady reagan was seriously injured as the bullet broke a rib punctured his lung, and caused internal bleeding. Shockingly, President Reagan walked into George Washington University Hospital uh, on his own power, and before surgery, Reagan had one of the two best one-liners that I've ever heard (laughs) anyone say, uh, especially of presidents. Okay, so, you know, picture this, right? So this is Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan, been shot, obviously in pain, bleeding. He limps into the hospital. He looks at his wife, Nancy, and says, Honey, I forgot to duck. <laughs> I can just imagine her sort of like grinning at him, and he just sort of is like, hey, what are you going to do? Yeah, I just missed my opportunity. That's there. right. They got me. Yeah. And then right before surgery, Reagan told the surgeons, quote, 
<laughs> please tell me you're Republicans, <laughs> which I've always thought was hilarious to me that you know he had he sort of had the 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 withedness to kind of crack a, even a a political joke right before he's going to surgery, and for all he knows, he yeah. may not make it out, right? You know, and uh, you know even then he's trying to like set people at ease. But you know, one of the other three uh, folks who were injured on that the uh, on the day of the shooting was uh, Press Secretary James Brady, like I had mentioned. Brady became permanently disabled uh, due to the shooting, and eventually the Brady Bill was named after him, which requires a waiting period before purchasing a handgun. Oh, and okay. uh, and although this occurred in 1981, the bill was actually signed into law by President Clinton in 1993. Oh, oh that's a cool yeah. follow-up. Yeah. yeah, so something something nice came yeah. out. I'll tell you one of my favorite memories of Reagan that happened after this attempt. Uh, there's a video clip that you can go back and you can see on YouTube. He's standing up. He's giving a, a speech. And again, this was after the assassination attempt. So it's I don't know how much time has passed, but it's still obviously fresh on everyone's mind. And he's speaking to a crowd of people and there are balloons in the audience and one of them pops. And you can just imagine that sound that oh, it would yeah. make. It could sound like a gunshot. And just a brief split second passes. Reagan kind of stops his speech and he just kind of says, you miss me. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Because and the crowd goes nuts. They thought it was great. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it's almost like he doesn't even miss a beat, really. He just sort of pauses for a couple seconds, yeah, just right. make sure things good. Then he's just like real quick, you know, <laughs> you miss me. And then right back into his he's speech. Just right back you to know. It. Just such a quick wit yeah. with the guy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Again, the assassin, uh, the would-be assassin, was a uh, 25-year-old John Hinckley Jr. And when I tell you why he tried to kill President Reagan, you're probably not going to believe me. It wasn't anything really like politically motivated. He didn't feel as though that the government owed him money uh, or anything like that. <laughs> didn't get visited in a dream by William McKinley. <laughs> as, as far as I know, no. Hinckley was obsessed, and he was obsessed with a young actress named Jodie Foster. And Jodie Foster obviously would go on to be a huge star, megastar, megastar. You know, starred in you know you know several dozen movies early on. In I think maybe it's either 1975 or 1976. She starred in the movie Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah. Now, at the time, Jodie Foster was like, I, I want to say she was either 13 or 14 years old at, at this point. So she's a kid. So she, oh, oh, yeah, she's yeah. a kid. And he watches this movie, according to interviews, he watches this movie and just becomes obsessed with her and is, is obsessed with her for years and kind of follows her sort of from a distance. And eventually, uh, she enrolls at Yale University. Okay, so she's like 19 years old now. She's a freshman at, at Yale, and he literally moves to New Haven, Connecticut to continue to kind of follow her now, now that she's kind of, you know, on her own and, you know, older and that type of thing, and that he would uh, write her letters and, like, put under her door, and he would, like, call her. Wow. And sometimes he would speak with her. Sometimes he, he would not. But so he's a creep. Weird 100%. guy. 100%. Bizarre. Yeah. I mean, so he's really been fixated on this kid. And now, obviously, it's Jodie Foster. But, I mean, but go back to the 70s. Yeah. She's a kid. She's just a 12, 13-year-old kid. Yeah. And so yeah. he's he's been obsessed with this girl for, like, years. And then when she goes off to college, literally follows her there and just kind of just stalks her. 
And he was obsessed with gaining her attention. And in his mind, what more could you do than to kill a United States president? And I know that sounds like absolutely nuts, but that's that was his mentality. And he actually made plans to kill President Jimmy Carter before huh. Reagan. And he, he had made the plans for it and was actually arrested in Nashville on gun charges and spent some time in jail. Just to get her attention. Just to get her attention, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't really anything to do with Reagan. It was first. It was Carter. It, it was just whoever the U.S. president was. Right. Uh, so you know he he got out of uh, jail and then you know continued obviously to sort of uh, follow her and then he began the plot to to kill Reagan and there's a an interesting letter that he wrote uh, Hinckley wrote Jodie Foster just a few days before he tried to kill uh, Ronald Reagan and so this uh, these are his words over the past seven months. I've left you dozens of poems, letters, and love messages in the faint hope that you could develop an interest in me. Although we talked on the phone a couple of times, I never had the nerve to simply approach you and introduce myself. The reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I cannot wait any longer to impress you. Oh my gosh. Signed John Hinckley Jr. And did she, then did she get all these? Did she uh, have a chance to respond? I mean, obviously she's not going looking for this guy, but Right. But I, I'm I, I'm sure she had letters because in the interviews he said, Yeah, I literally slid him under her door. I mean, he sent I mean, maybe there were some things that she didn't get, but I, I'm sure she was aware that she had an admirer and whether or not she even knew his name. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but on this particular letter, it was signed John Hinckley. He huh. actually signed his name to it. So this is so wild. So yeah. So I mean, imagine trying to kill the president, and then you know the the Secret Service and the police arrest you, and they begin to interview you, and you say, "Why did you do this?" And you said, "I just had to get Jodie Foster's attention," <laughs> and that and that was his answer. Wow. And so you know, people just you know have such such different thoughts about things. It's just so weird. And what's best case scenario there? I mean in his mind that she know. gets these letters and she acknowledges that he killed a U.S. president if that were to have happened and then to say wow my hero I love you you know that sort of thing yeah. I mean, it, it just mentally doesn't connect I don't know if that makes sense I mean he's going to jail so I yeah. mean so so then what I mean like right. okay well yeah that's what you did and yeah I acknowledge you and then I'm going to go on back to Yale <laughs> you know or whatever so it's it's so it's so bizarre yeah uh, that's crazy yeah but yeah that's true story Wow. True story. So, Jason, the last president we have on the list is Franklin D. Roosevelt. He was the fifth cousin to Teddy Roosevelt. So, obviously, there's a relationship right, there. Sure. Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt was the 32nd president of the United States and served from 1933 to 1945. He is known for being the only U.S. president to serve more than two terms. He actually served four terms due to the ongoing Great Depression and the beginning of World War II. U.S. lawmakers passed the 22nd <laughs> Amendment following Roosevelt's death, which limited presidents to serving two terms. Because, wow. Right. Yeah, that's uh, you. You learn that in American history. <laughs> you sure <laughs> right? do. Any kind of American history course uh, that you take, you're you gonna, learn why that's important. That's right. The 22nd yeah. Amendment. Right. <laughs> yeah. So on February 15th, 1933, 17 days before Roosevelt's first presidential inauguration, Giuseppe Zangara fired five shots at Roosevelt in Miami, Florida. Roosevelt was not wounded, but the mayor of Chicago, who was there, was killed and five other people were wounded. Zangara pled guilty to the murder of the Chicago mayor and was executed in the electric chair on March 20th, 19. 19- 
1933. It's never been conclusively determined who the actual target was for Zangara's attack, and a lot of people think it was Roosevelt, although if it was, he was a terrible aim because he pretty much hit everyone on the stage except for for, Roosevelt. However, another theory suggests that Zangara was directed by American gangster Al Capone to shoot the mayor of Chicago. And Al Capone was, I think, in prison at this time. Hmm. So he was still getting word and information out. And he was apparently still directing operations from the prison, which gives you an idea of the political climate during the time right. and what yeah. was you know, able to happen. But Al Capone had beef with uh, the Chicago mayor because he cracked down on the organized crime syndicate in Chicago named the Chicago Outfit which is just Hmm. a crazy name for uh, a mob. This one was interesting. It was an attempt. You know, the president was there. And it's also interesting that this sort of follows a a family lineage, you know, having both Teddy Roosevelt and uh, FDR both shot at as uh, attempted assassinations. So it's kind of crazy. You know, and I I think one common theme that runs through all this is uh, just the importance of people's like mental health. And their yeah. and their their mental state because right. I mean we just named off several people here who were influenced by potentially chemicals I mean something yeah. like you know biological that maybe you know, had, had right. something you know had done maybe to like them a physiological change in the brain right properly and right. Then also and then you know Charles Manson family yeah. I mean Cold mentality uh, yeah and then Al Capone you know uh, organized crime then sort of this uh, you know unusual fixation on Jodie Foster I mean so all of these things there there are definitely some some mental issues right. at, at play just at, at various levels and very seldom is it like politically motivated which is kind of the weird thing about this i mean in a lot of cases it's just mental health like right. you said someone is insane and they attempted to murder someone right it's almost like that's just the the prime position yeah and that and that position has the most uh the most limelight you know it, it's the most talked about therefore it's also the biggest target sure and so it's not necessarily again like i i disagree with your policies or things like that <laughs> it's really like they're just using that person they're sadly to, yeah they're just a symbol to get attention yeah. somehow or some kind of uh you know alternate sense of accomplishment or something so it, it is weird it's it's strange you think about that because obviously you know when you talk about presidential politics it's politics right but yeah. but in uh, a lot of cases the assassination attempts really weren't connected to politics right they were just looking for an idea that was bigger than themselves in a lot of cases they wanted to make a statement they wanted to be noticed and in some cases they wanted to fulfill some kind of mental issue they were having john mckinley told me in a dream to do this or i'm king richard the third and i'm owed this great fortune and andrew jackson is preventing me from getting that so it's strange how all that comes about for sure so jason this was an interesting conversation do you have anything else to add about the attempted assassinations of presidents uh maybe just one more thing that uh this wasn't necessarily uh an an all-inclusive list and there are other presidents that we didn't mention oh right there were uh, a few more uh not a lot but but a handful that did have some attempts uh, on on their lives. You know, some of them were like, you know, someone's right in front of them, gunshot type thing, and others were like more, you know, significant kind of uh, really detailed plots about blowing up a train and and things of that nature. So uh, while these were definitely some examples, these were not the only 
uh, example. So uh, if you are listening to this and you're interested, just uh, go ahead and do some some Google searching and you will find some more information kind of like this. Yeah. And also go back and listen to a previous episode we did on the history of U.S. presidents. There's some information in there concerning all sorts of different presidents. We went into more detail on some of our favorites and some of the ones we picked there. Also, Jason, we've recently hit 7,000 downloads on the podcast 7,000 yeah closing in on 10,000 we right? are that's kind of a goal that we're uh, looking forward to reaching so uh, 7,000 is a pretty good uh, milestone to get there we're getting there we're getting closer and thanks to all of our listeners who have made that possible we encourage you to follow us on social media you can reach us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the handle at slapdashpot thanks so much and we'll catch you in the next episode take care everybody